Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. To learn more about the church, feel free to drop by fredericksdachurch.org. Baptism. What is it and why do you need it? Pastor Quintana clears up many questions about this Christian ritual and if you really need it to make it to heaven. As most of you already know, uh, we're in the middle of a sermon series on salvation. I asked the question, what does it mean to be saved or how can I um, have the assurance of salvation every day? How can I live a life knowing that if I was to die today or if Jesus was to come tomorrow, that I would be saved. And uh, in case you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, let me just kind of bring you up to speed real quickly um, as to what we talked about, part one and part two. Part one, we talked about the ABCs of salvation. Was anyone here for that? All right. Quiz. What was the A of acknowledgement? We have to acknowledge our need of a Savior. That's the very first step. We must first acknowledge our need of a Savior. And B, ABC of salvation. What was B? Believe. We have to believe in Jesus Christ as the one who saves us. We must acknowledge our need of a Savior, and then we must believe in Jesus Christ. We must believe that he is the Savior. And C, what was C? Call to action. Call to action. With our acknowledgement of a need of a Savior, with our belief in Jesus Christ as being that Savior, there will always be associated with that a call to action. And what we saw today, Kathy stepped forward to that call to action, to want to dedicate her life, to baptize into Jesus Christ, and, and that was a call to action. And for many of us, that's the, many of us, that's the first step. But for those of us who have already been baptized, guess what? There is a call to action every day of our lives. As we continue to acknowledge our need of him, as we continue to um, acknowledge our need of a savior, as we continue to believe in him as Jesus Christ, as that savior, there will always be a call to action associated with that. And then last week, we had um, what I feel is, is a very beautiful, very moving um, part two of this sermon series. And, and the point last week was that as long as you ask, God will give. The more you ask, the more God gives. And as long as you ask, as long as you seek him, he will continue to give and he shall make himself available to you. And we, we spoke of that in the context of forgiveness, That as we come to God and ask for forgiveness of our sins, he, the Bible says, is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. And as long as we keep on confessing and as long as we keep on asking for forgiveness, Jesus Christ continues to pardon us from our iniquities. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. In other words, your sin is not bigger than the grace of God. God's grace can and will cover the sins of your life. And as long as you keep on coming to him, he will continue to give. Well, today we're going to talk about baptism. 
And the reason why we're talking about baptism is because of that one verse that says, that Jesus says, in order for a man to make it into the kingdom of heaven, he must be baptized, right? So if we are asking the question today, what must I do to be baptized? Well, we have to tackle this. So I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John, John chapter 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. My heading says the new birth. Any different headings out there? At the top of chapter 3. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Thank you, John. You were an A student, weren't you? (laughs) John chapter 3. It says here in verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. Now, before we go on and talk about baptism, there's a, there's a couple of things that I need to um, point out here. There's a few lessons that I just cannot overlook. One is that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. He wasn't sure. He he wasn't sold on this whole Messiah thing. He knew that he was a good man. He knew that he had done some really good things. But he wasn't sold on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And so he comes to him by night, perhaps because he was afraid of what his friends or his fellow co-workers would think. And so he comes to him by night. And the lesson here for us is this, that it does not matter where you are in life. It doesn't matter where on this journey you are. You can always come to Jesus Christ. Even if that means coming in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter where you are. You can always approach Jesus Christ. And the awesome thing about it is that Jesus makes himself available. He makes himself available whenever, however, whatever it takes. He makes himself available to meet you where you're at. And if you need to approach him in the middle of the day, if you need to approach him in the middle of the night, he's there. He's available. He's open. He he has his, his arms wide open ready to receive you. You know, I talk to people all the time, and, and, and sometimes you, you'll hear them say things like this. Well, I'll start going to church when? Or I'll get baptized when I do this. Or I'll start um, my relationship, or I'll start going to church when, when I start, you know, doing this, that, or the other. And Jesus says, you know what? Come to me as you are. Come to me as you are. And this is what's so beautiful about this, right? Because if you're seeking healing, if you're seeking purpose, if you're seeking to know God's will, Jesus knows that that can only take place in the context of a relationship with him. So if you're seeking healing, if if you're seeking purpose, he says, come to me and I can provide that healing. I can provide that purpose. So wherever you are in life today, whatever you may be struggling with, You can approach the throne of God in the name of Jesus Christ. You can come to him and say, here I am. I may not have all the answers. Nicodemus didn't. I may not have all the answers, but here I am. Take me, mold me, make me what you want me to be. 
And so here Nicodemus comes to him by night. Verse 3. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. Now here it is. Jesus answered most assuredly. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. All right. That is why we have to talk about baptism in regards to salvation and the assurance of salvation. Because here Jesus says very plainly, unless a man is born of water and fire, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this brings us to yet another dilemma. Is that we're not just talking about one baptism. We're talking about two baptisms. And so that is why I have chosen to talk about water baptism today. And next week, we're going to talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit. Or the baptism of fire, which is referred to oftentimes. So this week, baptism by water. Next week, baptism by the Spirit. But here, Jesus says to Nicodemus very plainly, unless one is born again, unless one is born of water and of Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we go on and talk about water baptism, I keep on delaying it, I know, but there's so many wonderful, powerful lessons here that I just can't overlook. If you notice, Jesus continues this dialogue with Nicodemus. He continues to talk to him about the spirit and, and just like the wind and, and you don't know where the wind is coming or going. So, so is the same way with the Holy Spirit. And he continues to, to, to have this dialogue with him. Now, interestingly, most people don't make the connection that John 3.16, the one passage that we've learned since we were little, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is in the context of this conversation with Nicodemus. And what we see happening is that Nicodemus approaches Jesus by saying, teacher. And as they develop, as they go on in this conversation, look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus is leading Nicodemus' understanding to encompass the fact that not only is he a teacher, but that he is the Messiah. And so he's leading Nicodemus to a greater understanding of what Jesus was called to come accomplish. And why is this important for us? The reason why this is important for us is that we too often, as Christians, uh, we, we lead people to a certain point and then we stop. Instead of leading them to greater understanding. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we say as Christians, oh, it's just enough. It's just enough if I'm just a good example. If I'm just a good witness. As long as they can see in me that I'm a good guy. That I'm a good girl. That I'm a good person. That's enough. That suffices. But you know what? Jesus never left someone where he found them. Jesus always took that person on a journey. And he met them where they were. But he then 
move them along in this journey and help them understand greater truths. And so some of us might be challenged this week in our relationships at work, in our relationships at home, in our relationships with our family to maybe help someone or extend an invitation to someone and say to them, hey, would you like to come to church with me? Hey, would you like to go feed the homeless with me Saturday night? Hey, hey, would you like to, to know more about Jesus? Would you like for me to share with you more about this amazing Jesus that I know who has saved me from my sins? And that is a challenge for us. And I know that the Holy Spirit will be working on your lives, working on your hearts. And I know that for some of you this week, you will have that thought come into your mind. That maybe I should invite them to come to church. And I just want to encourage you, when that happens, when, when you're called, when you're impressed by the Holy Spirit to either invite someone to church or, or to extend to them an invitation to study further or, or, or just to share your testimony um, in, in a verbal way, not just that by actions, but in a verbal way, don't hold back. You step out in faith And the Lord God that we serve will show himself strong on your behalf. Water baptism. What does it mean? What is it all about? You know, if we turn um, here to Luke 3.16, Luke 3.16, in other words, and John isn't the only place that talks about um, this double uh, baptism, these two baptisms. If you look at Luke chapter 3, Verse 16, it's easy to remember because it's Luke 3.16. Right, see? See, these are some of those little memory games you have, to, you have to mess around with to try and help remember where these texts are found. Luke 3.16 says this, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with what? Water, but one mightier than I is coming whose sandal straps I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There again, we're dealing with two types of baptism. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 verse 8. Mark chapter 1 verse 8 says this. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There again is this principle, this idea that there are two forms of baptism. And that is why we will talk about baptism by water today and next week, baptism by fire. Keep your finger here in Mark because we're going to come right back to this. But I want to try and answer the question What is this baptism by water? Like, what does it represent? What does it mean? So keep your finger there in Mark and turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Not verse 16, unfortunately. That would have been way too easy. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says this. I indeed baptize you with water... Unto repentance. And then this principle we're talking about that there's two types of baptism. He goes on to say, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. But here Matthew gives us a clue as to what this baptism by water 
means, what it represents. And here it is. Water by baptism unto repentance. Now, what does the word repent mean? What does the word repent mean? It literally means to turn around. That is the literal translation of repent. It means to do a 180 degrees and go start going the other way. Now, go back to the book of Mark, back to the book of Mark, verse chapter 1. Here, verse 4. It says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of, there it is again, repentance for what? For the remission of sins. And this is why this baptism of water is so beautiful. This is why it is so significant for all of us. Because what this signifies is that you are making a conscious decision not to follow the dictates of your own evil heart or your selfish ambitions. It it is a conscious decision not to to pursue earthly things or worldly things. It is a conscious decision that says, I will no longer follow self, but I will choose to follow God. I will choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. I am repenting. I am turning aside from my old self. And I am now following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. But here in Mark, he adds a little something to it. He says, for the remission of sin. This is where now Jesus says, now that we are in a covenant relationship together. Now that you have entered into this covenant relationship with me, guess what? I will forgive your sins. I will cover your sins. I will not hold your sins against you. You are no longer under the condemnation of the law. You are covered. I have paid for your sins. You are now mine. How refreshing is that? It's kind of like if you're sitting at, 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 at a restaurant and they bring the bill right? And, and you, you raise your hand and you say, I'll pay for that. And then they bring you the bill and you open it up, you know, that nice little, you know, leather bound, you know, little folder that they always have. You open it up and you go, whoa, 1,500,000. And then you pull out your wallet and you go, I only have 20 bucks. And then all of a sudden, Jesus, who's sitting at the other end of the table, raises his hand. And he says, I'll cover that. I'll pay for it. Give me that debt. I'll pay for the bill. When you enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what happens. He says, the debt that you owe, the price that you had to pay for your sins, I will now pay for I will now cover you with my sacrifice. Isn't that beautiful? And to think, we just witnessed it today. Kathy entered into the baptismal tank. And by her repenting, by her saying, I don't want to follow my selfish desires anymore. I want to follow Jesus Christ. By her saying that, she is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And even though there's still struggles, there's still going to be things to battle with. There's still things that, we're, that, that we all deal with after baptism. 
We are covered under the umbrella of grace. We are covered by the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, see, it doesn't just end there. That's why you have to come next week, part two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because as I have often said here, God doesn't just want to save you from the mess that you're in. He wants to save you from the mess that you've become. And that should give you a little hint as to what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. But for today, as we talk about baptism by water, what it simply means is that you are entering into that covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And under the umbrella of his grace, he says, you are now covered. You are now covered by my blood. I will pay for the price of your sins. Before we go on, I think it's important for me to share with you a little bit of the history of baptism by water. I think it's important because how did we get to where we are today? It used to not always be this way. But how did we get to this point? And so I just kind of want to share with you a little history lesson. Now, I wasn't very good in history um, when I was in school. History wasn't my thing. And so I hope I don't bore you because I know not everyone enjoys history. But just follow along because it's pretty interesting. And the reason I find this part interesting is because I actually did a research paper in seminary on baptism. I read many books on baptism, baptism through the century, how it's changed, what, what it means, and, and how we get here today. But, but so I want to share with you just a little bit about baptism and how we got to, to what we witnessed here today. You see, because originally, baptism wasn't reserved for just the pastors. It wasn't something that just the elders were to do. All right? When Jesus said, go ye therefore and baptize, he wasn't talking to the pastors. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the disciples. He was talking to his leaders, to to his followers. And so when he said, go ye therefore and baptize, he was talking to you. He was talking to me. He was talking to all of us. Now, here's what's so exciting about this. You remember that the Bible says that when you give your life to Christ, when you enter into that covenant relationship with him, you are now part of the priesthood. The Bible refers to it as the priesthood of all believers. And so when you gave your life over to Christ and you chose to follow in the teachings of Jesus Christ, you now became a priest in that community that could then go ye therefore and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So how did we get to where we are today? That only pastors can baptize. Well, it it makes a lot of sense. You see, because during that time, as people were going out and spreading the message and they were going out and spreading the teachings of Jesus Christ, people were joining by the masses. They were taking hold of this message and they were joining the church by the thousands. But guess what? Along with all of the, all, all of the people that were coming in were also coming in some of the beliefs from some of the foreign religion or some of the Gentiles religion or some of the idol worshiping was also was also coming and creeping into the church. And so the disciples, the followers, the apostles, they said, whoa, 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 wait a second. This isn't what Jesus taught. This is something completely different. 
And so the followers of the church, the leaders of the church, began to put together what was known as creeds, which basically, for us, it's doctrines. It's the same thing. They would put together these creeds to to try and, and, and come down to the basics of what Christianity is. What, what is the basics here? If you are a follower of Jesus, then you must hold true to these set of teachings, to these set of beliefs. And so when you read some of these, these creeds from the second and third century, you'll read stuff that says like we believe in Jesus Christ um, as the savior of the world. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin Mary. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus is coming back again. And so they would put together these creeds and then they would say, okay, now if you believe in these things, you can be baptized And be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's how the whole business of ordination began. Which there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing bad with it. But that's how it started. Now, the interesting thing is. And uh, our, our ministerial secretary is here today. And so this might get back to the conference. I, I may get a call later on this week. But I don't, I don't, I don't, um. I don't believe as, as a lot of other Seventh-day Adventist pastors do in that I don't want to steal from you the joy of baptizing someone. If you work with someone, if you labor with someone, if you sow the seed in someone and, 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 and you are working with that person and you bring that person to Christ, I would want you to baptize them. Now I will be in the tank with you. I will oversee it to make sure that everything's okay, that everything's going okay. But you, when you joined this church, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you became a part of that priesthood. And I don't want to steal from you the joy of baptizing someone. And that's why I've, I've always said that if you bring someone to Christ, if you walk through with them and, and you go through scripture and, and, and after studying with them and, and after, um, you know, laboring with them, after sowing in them, I would want you to reap the joy of baptizing them. Oftentimes, you bring people to the church and then the pastor kind of steals them from you takes them, you know, studies with them, and then baptizes them. But see, I want you to experience the joy of baptism. I want you to experience the joy of bringing someone. I've spoken with John about this before, that this is one of the greatest things that we as pastors do, is to be able to, to bury someone and resurrect them in Jesus Christ into a new person, into a new being. And I would want you to experience that as well. But you see, there's a lot of things that started to creep into the church back then. A lot of false doctrines. And and as a result of those false doctrines, the methodology of baptism changed. Let me give you a couple examples. There was a teaching that said, once you are baptized, you can no longer sin. In other words, if you sin after you're baptized, then that's it. You have sealed your fate. That was a teaching back then. 
So logically, what did people start doing? They started waiting until the very end of their life before they were baptized. They would wait until they were on their deathbed before they were baptized. Because if I'm in bed and I've only been given a few minutes or a few days to live, what are the chances that I'm going to sin after that? (laughs) You know? And so they would wait to the very end. Well, guess what? It was pretty cumbersome to take a sickly person to the water. And so what began to happen? They would take the water to them. And it's very fascinating if you read through the history books of how this kind of gradually developed. But they would bring the water. They, They started with buckets of water. And they would bring the buckets of water. And while the person was dying in their deathbed, they would pour the water on them. Oftentimes leading to their death. No, no. <laughs> As they drowned. <laughs> no, but, but it was very inconvenient. And so the amount of water got smaller and smaller and smaller until basically you just had a, just a little a vial of water, holy water, blessed water that was brought to the bedside and then they would sprinkle the water on them. Hence, sprinkling, baptism by sprinkling. Here was another teaching that kind of crept into the church that you absolutely unequivocally must be baptized by water in order to be saved and once saved always saved so once you are baptized there is nothing that you can possibly do to um, lose your salvation so logically what did parents start to do baptizing their children Right? As soon as they're born, just a few days after that, they would baptize in them. They would baptize them, sealing them, and therefore not having to worry about that child's salvation anymore. Hence, infant baptism. And so there's a lot of things through through the years of how baptism has changed. But I don't want us to lose sight of the real reason behind water baptism because it truly is a magnificent beautiful thing and before we jump back on the rails here and talk about what exactly water baptism means let me also remind you that foot washing is like a mini baptism foot washing is a mini baptism you will remember that Jesus said to Peter Peter I need to wash you. I need to make you clean. And, and Peter said, nope, nope, not, you're not going to touch me. You're not going to wash my feet. And then Jesus said, I have to do this. And then Peter responded by saying, all right, if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me. And what did Jesus say? No, there's no need to immerse you all over again. All that's required is to wash your feet. And so every time, once a quarter, that we partake of of communion and foot washing, it is basically a time when we are entering once again into that covenant relationship with God. We are reminding ourselves, we are giving a public testimony, witness to everyone around us that, yes, I am in this covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And by him washing my feet, I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
But let's talk a little bit deeper as to what this really means. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, six starting with verse 4. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is what's so beautiful about baptism by water. That when you enter into the baptismal tank, what you are saying is, just as Jesus died, so I will die. I will die to self. But the beautiful thing about water baptism and what it represents is that just as Jesus rose from the dead... And, and, and we're pretty sure that Jesus rose from the dead, right? I mean, that's the reason why we're here. I, I, I mean, it's pretty certain. I, we're pretty sure, right? I mean, there may be like, you know, that 0.1% that sometimes we doubt. But, but, but for the most part, we believe in our being that Jesus Christ is in heaven right now, interceding on our behalf, that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is coming back. We believe that. We're sure of it. Here's the beautiful thing about water baptism. That just as sure as, as we are that Jesus rose from the dead, we can be assured that once we are resurrected out of the water, once we're resurrected back up, we can be just as sure that we have now entered into a new life in Jesus Christ. We are now covered by his blood. We have entered into that covenant relationship with him. For if we have been united together in his likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so for all of us who have been through this experience, where we have given our lives over to Christ and we have said, God, I am all yours. And we have walked through that watery grave. And, 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 and once we are laid back, we die to self and we then rise anew in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you one last verse found in Acts. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Because, you know, what's the result of this? What will happen? Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Says this, repent therefore and be converted. There it is again. We're talking about that, that transformation, that repenting, that, that turning around, the converting of one's life. Here Luke says, hey, listen, be converted. Repent and be converted. That your sins, listen to this, so your sins may be blotted out. So that your sins may not be held against you. So that you may not, so that you won't experience the condemnation of those sins. But instead, what? Jesus Christ 
paid for those sins. Jesus Christ covers the sins in my life so that your sins may be blotted out. And this is what he says will happen. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So that times of refreshing may come upon the Lord. You know, we oftentimes, you know, we we live a life in turmoil. We live a life confused, in doubt, and, and we don't know where we're going or what we're doing. But Luke says here, repent, be converted, be baptized, so that your sins may be blotted out and you will experience a joy like none other. You will experience a happiness like none other because now, perhaps for the very first time in your life, you realize that my life is in his hands. No matter what comes my way, no matter what I go through, I know that my life is in his hands. And though I may still struggle with sin and though I may still be trying to overcome addictions, my life is in his hands and it's covered By his price that he paid on Calvary. You know, I remember I was once in Moscow, Red Square. And there was a place there in the middle. And and I don't remember what the name of it was. But there's kind of a monument. And uh, it's significant. And I I hate to even say I don't even remember why it's significant. But uh, I took pictures of it. And... and, uh, um, I was sitting there at that monument and, and a gentleman came and he sat right next to me and we started to talk and he said, what, what are you here for? I said, well, we're here on a mission trip. We're, we're you know, we're reaching out. We're having a vacation Bible school um, for, uh, for an orphanage. And uh, he said, oh, so you're a Christian. I said, yeah, I am. Yeah. He says, uh, he says, I don't understand you Christians. And I was like, well, what is there not to understand? Uh, you know, and so we started talking back and forth. And he said, I, I personally don't believe that there's a God. I, I just don't believe that, that there is a God. I said, so you're an atheist? I said, yeah. I just don't get you atheists. Well, what is there not to understand? And so we just kind of went back and forth a little bit. And uh, I, I, I tried to, to try and understand you know, where are you, where are you coming from? And uh, he said to me, he said, well, I just feel that we're evolving and, and we're, we're, you know, we're, we're becoming year by year, millennia after millennia, we're, we're becoming better people. I said, well, that's interesting because I believe the opposite. See, I believe that the longer we're here on earth and the longer we're affected by sin, the, the, the more earth, the more people, the, the worse people get. So there we are again at a crossroads. And, uh, and then he started to talk to me because I asked him, I said, so do you have a family? You know, what, are you work? Oh, no, I'm currently out of work and, you know, I, you know, I've divorced and, you know, this or that. And, and he began to talk about his life and, and his family. And, and uh, then he starts to tell me how depressed he is and how, you know, uh, you know um, how, how wrong everything is going. And I said to him, I said, well, you're an evolutionist, right? You believe that things are evolving to get better. Shouldn't you be happy about that? And then he looks at me and he says, and you believe in God. And you believe that everything's getting worse. And then he says to me, but yet you're so happy. He says, why? And I said to him, I said, because of Jesus. 
Because even though we are in the state that we're in, we have a promise in Jesus Christ that he will someday make things better. We know that someday soon Jesus Christ will stand up and make all wrongs right. We know that the sins, I said, I know that the sins in my life have been covered by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Nah, I don't believe that, he said. And my group was leaving and so we kind of shook hands and I said to him, I said, good luck in your search. I said, I hope you find Jesus someday. I said, because everything that you're struggling with right now, all the questions that you have, all the confusion that you're dealing with will be answered. And I said to him, and you will find the happiness that I have. And that was it. That was it. But baptism by water is simply entering into that covenant relationship with him. A covenant relationship that says, even though I may not understand, even though I'm still confused, even though I have a lot of questions, even though things aren't going to, even though things um, may not turn out the way that I want it to, in this covenant relationship with him, I know that I am covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I know that in this covenant relationship, he will give me the strength and the wisdom that I need to make it through. So, here it is. Foot washing, take the opportunity to enter into that covenant relationship once again. Baptism. If you've never been there, if you've never experienced it, I beg of you to please approach me, approach one of the, the, on the pastoral staff, approach one of our elders, approach a family member and say, I want what you have. I want to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. I want my sins to be blotted out. I encourage you because now is the day. Now is the time of salvation for you to reach out and say, I want to be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that means publicly showing everyone through baptism that I am burying myself and I am resurrecting in Jesus Christ, then I will go through it. That's what I want. That's exactly um, what I want. I know that there are several of you out there that already have approached me and we're trying to figure out scheduling and timing and whatnot. But I know that there's others out there. I know that there are others out there that still haven't made that decision, still haven't made that step in faith that says, I want my sins to be blotted out. And what I'm going to ask is that while HVA plays the post loser, as they play that last song, I'm simply going to go over here to the corner. And if you're someone that has never made that decision, has never stepped out in faith and said, I want my sins to be blotted out. I'm going to invite you to meet me over here in this corner where we're going to have a word of prayer. And I will share with you what we need to do to take it to this next step, to take it to this next level. No pressure. This is simply if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to step out in faith and be baptized. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. They are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can feel free to learn more about them at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, you can click on Sermon Audio. 